0: Sean mentioned, Easter is just around the corner. Holy Week begins uh, today with Palm Sunday. Uh, We have several things planned this week. On Friday, uh, we have a Good Friday uh, worship experience together. It's going to be more of a reflective, contemplative experience. There will be readings, songs, communion. Uh, That's uh, Friday at 7 o'clock right here in this room. Then on Saturday, uh, we have a worship experience at 4.30 uh, in the afternoon. There are no children's programs, no student programs. Uh, our family room will be available if you want to stand there with children. Uh, but we would love to have all generations in this space. Uh, it is usually a little noisier, and that's okay, uh, because uh, from the youngest to the oldest, we all matter, and it's great to worship together. Same worship experiences are offered on Sunday, 9 o'clock and 1030. Uh, for the 9 o'clock, there's full programming for children and students. In fact, our students are hosting their Overflows student worship experience upstairs for Easter. Thank <laughs> Uh, The only difference at 10.30 is that there's nothing for our junior high and high school students, uh, but all of our children's programming for preschool and elementary will be available uh, as well. So that's coming up for Easter this week. Uh, We're excited. Our theme is This Changes Everything. It's on my shirt, uh, and we have these shirts for sale down the hall in the hub. Today's the only day we're going to be selling them like on a Sunday. They're 11 bucks. Checker cash is all we're accepting. You can grab them down the hall. Uh, If you want to get them later in the week, uh, you can contact the office. It's open 8 to 4, Monday through Thursday, and we can make arrangements to get you a shirt, even if you work during the day, we can figure that out for you. Finally, I shared last week that um, this is Lebanon's 40th anniversary year. Uh, Lebanon Christian Church has been going for 40 years this November, and we thought it would be really neat if one of the ways we could continue to make an impact in our world and our community is to challenge ourselves to 40 acts of impact uh, in the rest of 2023. Uh, from today through the end of the year, there are 40 weeks left in the year. Whether you choose to do one active impact a week or multiple impacts a week and then uh, take a break or whatever it is, we encourage you uh, with yourself, with your family, maybe multiple individuals in your family, your household, uh, that you would choose to just commit to 40 acts of impact. We have a number of ideas on the back that are provided for you. Uh, you can come up with your own. Some are more short-term commitments. Some are more long-term commitments. Uh, but we would love if together we can make an impact in our community and in our world uh, over the next 40 weeks in such a profound way. We'd encourage you to kind of keep a tally. Maybe you write the number of the thing that you did in the square. Maybe you get some stickers at the store and you put them on there. Maybe you take turns coloring them in. Whatever suits you, uh, that's fine. But we would love if you'd help us as we make an impact in our world during this 40th um, anniversary year. And obviously, uh, the big hope is that this goes well beyond uh, this year and into the future, that we can be intentionally on mission to make an impact in our community and our world together. Let's pray, and uh, we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for the chance to share on Palm Sunday. And Father, even as we think about that story from from Holy Week, um, we reflect back, and we know that you entered Jerusalem in such a humble way. You didn't choose a valiant war horse, uh, but Father, you came on uh, the foal of a donkey, and you fulfilled scripture. And though the crowds chanted praise to you, um, they, they, they turned from you days later. But God, we recognize that you are king. Uh, you are the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the one who's rescued and you have saved. And God, our lives are forever changed uh, because of who you are and what you've done. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you continue to draw us to you. Uh, we live in the shadow of Palm Sunday and an empty cross and an empty tomb. Uh, we get to live in this place of victory where your spirit is available and alive to us. And I just ask that you would, through that spirit, draw us closer to you today. For those that have yet to follow you, that you would do the work that only you can do um, to plant that seed in the heart, that, that Father, it would grow that you would draw uh, men and women, young and old, to yourself. Father, for those who are already followers of yours, that you would bring conviction and repentance and encouragement, uh, that we would be men and women who live faithfully for you. We just trust that you would guide us here, Father, as your word is opened, as your word is read, as your word is taught. God, would you be honored and glorified and bring your power. And it's in your name we pray and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen. There is an old Chinese proverb I discovered this week. Uh, It states that once you've made it, 90% of the way to your destination, you're actually 90% down the path, you're only halfway to the destination. Once you've made it 90% down the path, you're only halfway there. Um, Even though it sounds kind of bizarre, how could you have half left if you've gone 90%? I think we get the sentiment. Uh, We know that often the last part of a journey is the most difficult. Uh, Think about those of you that are are finishing up a school year. Uh, You've gone hard, you've you've worked diligently, and and now you're staring at the final, what, eight, nine weeks, and it's like, I don't know if I wanna finish this thing. The the last 10% is often the hardest. Um, Amplify that if you're a graduating senior from high school or college. The last 10% is incredibly hard. The last part of the journey is so hard. Those of you that that, that drove long hours back from spring break on on Friday or Saturday, you know what it's like. You are 12 hours into this journey and you only have two hours left. But sometimes that two hours, it feels like it's 24. The, The last part of a journey is often the hardest. I think about those that have put in a two weeks notice or a 30 day notice at work. Um, Often you're probably encouraged by a boss or a supervisor, finish well. Um, That's what I tell our staff uh, when we have transitions is finish well. Give it your all to the very end. Uh, Finish well. Persevere. That last 10% matters. I don't know why the last 10% is so hard. Uh, I've not studied enough to know that. I know in my own life I've experienced that. Maybe it's because the grind is hard and it wears you down, but that last 10% is is difficult. I think about sports and, and how we see this. Legacies in sports, whether it's a coaching legacy or a player's legacy, are often defined by how they performed or how they excelled in the final minutes of a game, in a final drive, in a, with a final shot, because finishing well matters. Uh, think about uh, baseball. Baseball season started this week for professional baseball. The highest paid reliever, relief pitcher on most teams is someone called the closer. That closer is responsible for usually three outs or less, one inning or less of work. Sometimes they might get uh, brought in in the eighth inning for a couple of outs, but typically it's three outs or less. And so the most successful closers, the ones that have made the most money in baseball, um, they, they often worked only two or three batters in a given game two or three days a week. Why? Because finishing the game matters. Finishing well matters. Persevering, pursuing things to their end matters, and yet we know how hard and how difficult it is to maintain that momentum and to finish strong. We've been talking about purpose the last three weeks. This is the fourth week. Uh, the third component of our three-year plan is to pursue your purpose. Pursue Jesus, pursue one another, pursue your purpose. Uh, and, and, and this is not the full detail of the three-year plan. This is just the theological or the spiritual underpinnings. These are the things we want to do. These are how they're supported by Scripture. And as we talk about purpose, we have said again and again that your purpose is given to you by the God that made you. It's impressed upon you. You are made in his image. In fact, the the, the line we had from week one in this series was that your quest for more will never find enough in anything less than the eternal. You are made for eternity. The, the, The words of Ecclesiastes 3.11 tell us that God has planted eternity in the human heart. You are made with a longing for a more that can only be satisfied by God. You are made for him. You are made for his mission. You are made for his purposes. He's crafted you for them. He he wants you to honor him with your life by living according to his ways. And he wants you to help other people do the same. And we can, we can say that in a number of ways. He wants you to trust and follow him as you help others trust and follow him. You can say he wants you to be a disciple of his while you help make other disciples of his. But the purpose remains the same, that you are to honor God, and you honor God by obeying and following his commands and living according to his ways, and you help other people do the same. That's your purpose. But how do we pursue that purpose to the end? Because you and I both live in a world we all live in a world that's full of all kinds of distractions, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of trials, all kinds of things that can tempt us or pull us away. So, how do we pursue our purpose to the end? And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Paul's life. Uh, we're actually going to look at the very end of the book of Acts because it shows us how Paul pursues his purpose to the very end and how you and I can pursue our purpose uh, to the very end. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28. If you're just joining us, this is your first time here, maybe you're a guest. Uh, We've been studying Acts since early September. Um, This is not the end of our study in Acts, even though we're at the end of Acts today. Uh, We're still gonna be in Acts through May, uh, the first week of May. But as we look at pursuing our purpose to the end, the final verses of Acts 28 just give us a great opportunity to see what's required, what it looks like to pursue purpose, to finish well. Uh, When we get to Acts chapter 28, verse 17, uh, Paul is in Rome. Rome's a destination Paul's been headed towards. You could go back to Acts chapter 23, verse 11, and Jesus speaks to Paul directly, and he tells Paul, listen, just as you testified in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome. Paul knew months earlier that part of his journey would be going to Rome. He knew he had to persevere and pursue God's purpose to Rome. By the time we get to Acts chapter 28, verse 17, he's in Rome. He's in Rome having just come off of a shipwreck and travel up the, 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 the peninsula of, of Italy. And here he is. And, and I want to I show you what happens there. We're going to kind of take this in sections. We'll look first at verses 17 to 22 and then 23 to 28 and so on. Verse 17, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So, so Paul comes to Rome. We learn in, in verse 30 that he has rented a house. Uh, Just three days in, he invites the Jewish leaders to come. This is something we've seen repeated if you've been with us the last several weeks. when Often when Paul comes into a new city, he tries to reason with uh, the Jewish people there. He was a Jew. Uh, He was not completely informed about who the Messiah was. He encountered Jesus. He's been saved. He's been rescued. He's been changed. He wants them to experience the very same thing. So he gets to Rome and he calls the Jewish leaders to him. Uh, When people study the history of the Jewish people in Rome, they say there were many synagogues throughout the city, many synagogues throughout Italy, didn't have any core leadership. And and so they wanted to bring these different leaders from these various synagogues in Rome. And so Paul wants to tell them why he's there. He states his case, I've done nothing wrong. I didn't do anything deserving of death. And yet uh, the Jews objected and I ended up having to come here. But he tells us that really the reason why he's there, verse 20, is because of something that he's been speaking, something that he's been teaching. Look at the last sentence in verse 20. He says, it's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. He says, it's the hope of Israel that keeps me in chains. I'm in prison, I'm under house arrest because of this message about the hope of Israel. What's that message? If you were a Jewish person living in the first century listening to Paul, and you heard him make the statement, the hope of Israel, immediately your mind would have been taken to something you've been anticipating for years. The phrase, the hope of Israel, was something they held on to that spoke of a coming restoration, a coming renewal. It spoke of resurrection. They would use it to speak of the time when God would make all things new, and they would be raised from the dead, and they would have perfect eternal life fellowship with God. And that, that hope of Israel was brought in and ushered in when the Messiah, when the rescuing king came. So Paul says, I am here, I am in chains because I've been declaring that the hope of Israel has arrived. I know him, I've met him, I've been changed by him. I want you to know him and meet him and be changed by him. That, 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 that's why he's in prison, that's why he's in trouble. Well, to his surprise, uh, the Jewish leaders reply, Listen, we haven't received any letters about you. We don't even know what you're talking about. Like, like no, one's, no one's out to get you, Paul. We don't know anything about this. But while you're here, will you tell us a little bit more about this sect, about these people that follow Jesus? Because we've been hearing all kinds of things said against those who are followers of Jesus. So they arrange a meeting, and verses 23 through 28 describe what happened in that meeting. They arrange to meet Paul on a certain day. And came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. So the Jewish leaders tell their friends, hey, come listen to what Paul has to say. He witnessed, he testified, he told them from morning until evening about Jesus. He explained about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So Paul is in chains. Paul is in Rome Because of his teaching about the hope of Israel. Now that he's in Rome, he's reasoning with the Jewish leaders and what is he doing? He's continuing to tell them about the hope of Israel. He's explaining to them the kingdom of God. He's persuading them, trying to persuade them from the law of Moses, from the prophets, who Jesus is. It's a picture of Paul continuing to pursue this purpose to the end. Jesus has called him, to go to the Jews and the Gentiles and tell them about him. He continues to do that even as he's under house arrest. He gets the same mixed results he's gotten in other cities. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. As you can imagine, there's a disagreement that occurs. They disagreed among themselves, and then they began to leave after Paul made this final statement. This is kind of the final straw for those who disagree with Paul. Here's what Paul told them the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through, the, through Isaiah the prophet. So he invokes the words of one of their favored prophets. Hear the words. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Paul takes these strong words that came through Isaiah the prophet, and he applies them to the people who are refusing to believe. As you can imagine, it creates a little bit of a stir. The people leave. Um, He tells them a final word, verse 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So Paul continues to pursue his purpose to the end. But that's not all. It's like an episode, you know, from uh, Looney Tunes. That's not all, folks. Bugs Bunny's saying it, right? For two whole years, verse 30, uh, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So teaching people about the hope of Israel who God is, what he's done in Jesus, what it means for them, landed Paul under house arrest in Rome. Well, under house arrest in Rome, he summons leaders of the very same people that put him there, tells them about the hope of Jesus. And when he's done doing that and he's already created a stir, what does he continue to do for the next two years? He welcomes people into his house and says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He keeps pursuing his purpose to the very end. What's interesting is that Luke doesn't include the very end of Paul's life in in Acts. As we piece together from Paul's other letters, as well as some of the other writers that were living uh, around Paul's lifetime, we begin to see that this is just the first of what were two imprisonments or incarcerations for Paul in Rome. This first one lasted two years. Uh, these first two years, uh, while he was under house arrest, he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and even Philemon. He continues to leverage his time to help proclaim the good news about Jesus and help other people. Following that house arrest ending, he pins the words of 1 Timothy, he pins the words of Titus. And at some point, uh, according to tradition, Paul made his way even further west to the west coast of Spain. Here's what Clement, uh, a writer whose writing dates back to AD 95 had to say about Paul. This is in first Clement uh, five, uh, six through seven. Paul served as a herald in both the east and the west and he received the noble reputation for his faith. He taught righteousness to the whole world and came to the limits of the west. What would the limits of the west be for Paul in a Roman empire? Uh, The ocean on the other side. It's the west coast of Spain, bearing witness before rulers. And so he was set free from his world and transported up to the holy place, having become the greatest example of endurance. Paul pursues his purpose to the very end. Paul finishes well. He keeps living on purpose. He keeps living on mission for God when he gets uh, incarcerated, imprisoned the second time in Rome uh, under the reign of Nero as he's awaiting his executions, when he pins the words of Second Timothy. Listen to how Paul describes these final months of his life in 2 Timothy chapter four. Verses six through eight. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is faithful, Paul is faithful to the end, Paul who has endured hardship, Paul who has endured trial, is faithful. He finishes well. And I think it begs us to ask the question, will we? Will you and I finish well? Will we pursue the purpose that God has given us to honor him, to live according to his ways, to help others do the same? Will we pursue that to the very end? Will we persevere through trials? Will we persevere through temptation? Will we persevere through disease and illness and sickness? Will we persevere through grief? Will we finish well? What will we do with the last 10%? You know, so many of us know stories of people. Some of us, many stories of people who, who began the journey of faith, journey following Jesus with incredible earnest and, 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 and they, were, they, were, they were zealous for the things of God. They couldn't get enough of honoring Jesus with their life. And at some point, the things of the world distract them. The trials of the world overwhelm them and instead of finishing strong, they end up drifting away from living for Jesus. Will we finish the race well? Will we keep the faith alongside Paul? Will we endure to the end? Paul provides some great wisdom here through his example on how we can persevere, how we can pursue our purpose to the very end. And I just want to give you two things from Acts 28, verses 17 to 31. The first is this uh, we look at Paul and we see that Paul was able to persevere and pursue his purpose to the end because he kept his focus. He kept his focus. When we get to the end of verse 16 in Acts chapter 28, Paul has made it on different stops uh, up the coast of Italy. He's arrived in Rome. There's a soldier guarding him. Paul at this point is fresh off of a shipwreck. Uh, We we learn in one of his letters to the Corinthian churches that he has been shipwrecked a number of times. He's been flogged, he's been beaten by this point. Uh, He's been imprisoned on multiple occasions. He's been betrayed. There have been hardship after hardship after hardship in Paul's life. And now finally he arrives at Rome. Would anybody have given Paul a hard time if when he got to Rome he said, guys, hey listen, I just need two weeks. Just give me two weeks. You know, just, just let me breathe, let me spend time with the Lord, let me maybe walk around Rome and get a feel for what's going on here. But what does Paul do as soon as he arrives in Rome? Three days, three days later, he's rented a house, he's found this place to stay, and, and now he's already inviting Jewish leaders over to help them see who Jesus is. He remained focused. His mission was to help the Jews and the Gentiles see who Jesus was. But you see the focus not just in the example of just starting as soon as he gets to Rome, but what's his message? I emphasize this as we read through the passage. Verse 20, I'm in chains because of the hope of Israel. Verse 23, he witnessed to them morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Verse 31, for the next two years, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Paul was focused. I don't know if you've heard about this concept called mission drift. I read a book uh, several years ago called Mission Drift. It was about what often happens. It was particularly talking about nonprofits, faith based nonprofits, but the phrase is used also of corporations and individuals that they have this uh, priority, they have this mission, they have this vision. And something happens as a person or as a company, as an organization moves towards that mission. Uh, other things that aren't necessarily Uh, as good, seem appealing. And so they begin to chase after those other things. Maybe there's a new product they want to launch. Maybe there's a new demographic they want to reach. And over time, things that seem good turn out to be not as good. Instead of focusing not only on what is better, but what is best, they just focus on what can be good, maybe what brings a little bit of profit, maybe what feels good in the moment for a person or a company. And before they know it, years pass. And suddenly they're no longer focused on the very thing that they were focused on in the beginning. And I wonder how many times does that happen in our lives as followers of Jesus? How many times does their mission drift? I was reading through 1 John this week and just in, in my own time with Jesus and, and as I'm reading through it, I'm struck by these words in 1 in John chapter two. Three different times the phrase occurs, um, to remain in fellowship, to remain in the sharing relationship with Christ. Remain in fellowship with Christ. It's all this context in 1 John of not being brought into the ways of the world, but to instead continue to pursue the ways of God. And how we do that is that we have to remain in Christ. It speaks to this draw, there's a draw around us from opportunities, the allure sometimes of wealth, maybe experiences that could be had, things that we wanna do, that slowly we can drift away from making God the number one priority in our lives. If you want to finish well, if you want to finish strong, if you want to close out the game of life, it's gonna come because you intentionally focus on your purpose. In Christ. And for Christ. Is he a focus for you? How often do you find yourself thinking about Jesus. And his ways. When it comes to your most intimate relationships. How often do you find yourself. Thinking about Jesus and his ways. When it comes to your career. When it comes to your school. When it comes to your athletics. How often do you find yourself thinking about Jesus. And what honors him. When it comes to how you spend your money. And how you spend your time. If we are not focused on him like Paul was, if we don't keep the priority at the forefront of our minds, we'll likely drift away. We see this in Paul's life in other ways. I think about the words of Philippians chapter four, uh, verses 12 through 13. The most famous words are the end of chapter four, verse 13, where it says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if we rewind a little bit, Paul says that he's learned That whether he is well-fed or hungry, whether he is living in plenty or in want, that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. It's the secret of being content. How is Paul going to persevere? By keeping his eyes on what's most important. He'll write something very similar but different to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Do all things as though you're doing them for the Lord and not for humankind. It's the priority, it's the focus on the most important thing. Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. There's a reason why we have the phrase out of sight, out of mind, isn't there? Because if we're not looking at it, if we're not intentionally looking for it, chances are we'll forget about it. So how do we keep the priority of God and his purpose for our lives at the forefront of our minds? And again, Paul provides us help here. So the the first way that we can learn to finish well and pursue our purpose to the end is to focus. Uh, The second thing is how do we focus? And we focus by pursuing Jesus. As I was working on this message this week, I I got excited because it's kind of like this full circle moment. Uh, We launched our look at the pursue plan by looking at that first component, pursue Jesus. And I've said throughout these three series that the most important of all our pursue initiatives is that we pursue Jesus. That we would then take intentional and decisive action to try to learn from him and live like him. That that's the most important thing for all of us. How will you pursue your purpose? How will you keep it as a priority all the way to the end? It's by pursuing Jesus. Paul models this for us. What what does Paul use to reason with the Jewish leaders? Verse 23, he witnessed to them morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Paul is a man who was a student of the word of God. He knew its message. What words does he use that bring conviction to the Jewish leaders? The words of Isaiah the prophet. Beyond the word of God, what do we see in Paul's life in letter after letter after letter, Paul prays for people. Even as he challenges them with hard words, he prays for them. But Paul is a man who was immersed and in abiding in relationship with Jesus. He pursued Jesus first and foremost. And as he pursued Jesus, borrowing from the words of the letter to the Hebrews, as he fixed his eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the author and finisher of his faith, he was able to continue on to the very end. How do you keep God priority? How how do you make him your focus? You've got to pursue Jesus. He's got to be your number one pursuit. We've got to be learning about him through his word. We need to be spending time with him in prayer. We need to be practicing other spiritual disciplines to keep our hearts and our minds aligned with him. We wonder why so many drift away. It's because they fail to pursue Jesus. If you and I are gonna finish well, it'll come because we continue to pursue Jesus. And in pursuing Jesus, you and I can be sure that we'll finish well. I wanna end with a couple stories, uh, one from our current day and one from the mouth of Jesus. The first story is about a uh, disciple of Jesus. His name is Tim Keller or Timothy Keller. Some of you may know that name. Tim is a disciple of Jesus first and foremost, but he's also a writer and a pastor. He's a preacher. Uh, I have been helped immensely from Tim's writings. I don't agree with everything that Tim has to say, but especially his writing on pain and suffering and how we find God in the midst of it has been deeply beneficial to me. His book on prayer is something worth reading again and again and again. Uh, In 2020, uh, Tim was finishing up a book on death. Uh, You might imagine that one of the questions that you get asked as a pastor frequently is um, a question about death or are questions about death. He wanted to put together these answers in a book to help other people who are asking the very same questions, questions that all of us ask. So he was writing this book on death. He finished it up and got it sent off to the publisher. Weeks after it was published, uh, Tim learned that even as he was writing that book, that cancer began to take hold in his own body. Within weeks of publication, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He is now three years into treatment for pancreatic cancer. And when he's able, he continues to write and to take interviews and to preach. In an interview with The Atlantic, Tim said that this journey with cancer has really tested him. Suddenly, all the things that he wrote on this book on death, he had to face firsthand. But he says that in this season, as they continued to come to him, he and his wife, Kathy, in his word, he said they've lived in the Psalms. He says their prayer life has never been stronger, that God has helped them experience more and more. And we see a picture in Timothy Keller of a man who's finishing well. Will you and I finish well? but we pursue Jesus, keeping him the number one priority. Do you want to finish well? Now, the second story is for those of you who either have yet to follow Jesus or maybe you started to follow Jesus a long time ago and at some point in the journey, you lost, you lost the path. You went down at a ways and you're like, nope, this isn't for me. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 20, it's called the parable of the vineyard workers. Oftentimes when people drift away from God who have yet to come to find him and they look back at their life and they have all these regrets, they wonder, well, can I even leverage the last 10%? Can I even leverage what I have left? Jesus tells us yes. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells this parable, there's a vineyard worker, a vineyard owner who went out into the marketplace to hire workers one day. In the early morning he hired some and offered to pay them a day's wage and they came with him and began working in the vineyard. There's so much work to do that he comes back in the middle of the day and he says, hey, I need more vineyard workers, I'll pay you a full day's wage if you come and work for me. And so they come and they work for him and they help him with the harvest. Later in the afternoon, just hours before the the, the work is done, he says, hey, I still need some help, will you come and work for me? And he pays them a full day's wage, I'll pay you a full day's wage. So the the day ends, the harvest ends, and he gathers all the workers together, those that worked all day, those that worked half a day, and those that worked just a handful of hours or a few hours. And he calls the ones who have only worked a few hours up and he pays them their full day's wage. And as Jesus tells the parable, he tells us that some of the people that worked all day got upset. And he's like, well, why are you upset? didn't, Didn't you receive what you agreed to? And as Jesus unpacks that, Parable, he's showing us that there are some that will follow Jesus their whole lives. I I have had the privilege of growing up in a home where, from the very first Sunday of my life, uh, I was brought to church. I was born on a Monday or a Tuesday, and the very next Sunday, my parents had me learning about Jesus. I had the opportunity to be a part of children's classes and listen to faithful preaching and a faithful witness of my parents, had the opportunity to be a part of a youth group and go off to a Christian school. And, and my inheritance is that as, I pers- as, I, as I've been saved by Jesus that I'll, I'll get to be with him forever in, in, in all the perfectness of, of his life one day. But there are others who may not discover Jesus until they're 50 or they're 60 or they're 70 and they'll get the exact same thing as they turn to Jesus. There are those who will be 50, 60, 70, 80, and will look back and they'll see how they squandered their lives, or they'll feel like they did, and yet as they turn to Jesus, he makes all things new for them. You may feel like you've wasted the first 30%, 50%, 70% of your life, but you can still finish well because the grace of God sustains. And I'd encourage you, if if, if you need that moment to to come clean with the Father, to do that during this song that we're about to sing, Lord, I need you, that you would just call out to him and you would repent of the things that have pulled you away, that you would resolve to finish well. And if you've yet to even begin the race with him, that you would um, take those intentional steps to to talk with about beginning that relationship with Jesus. Whether it's talking to me at the front of the room after a worship experience, filling out the connection card, either the physical copy, the digital copy by scanning the QR code or emailing us connect at lebanonchristian.org. We want to help you begin this race and we want to help you finish well. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the chance to, to share your word and I thank you for the power of your word. God, I pray that you would help us, help us pursue our purpose to the very end. Help us to take lessons from the Apostle Paul and God, really, even as I think about it, help us take lessons from Luke. Uh, God, Luke begins the book of Acts by telling us that people will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria into and the ends of the earth. And he ends his historical record by helping us see that people were your witnesses to the end of the earth. God, help us to finish strong. Help us to finish well. God, help us to be resolved to fix our eyes on you, to keep you the priority, and to abide in you that you might remain the priority for us. Draw us into your life, and as we live for you, help us lead others to the same. It's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen.